0: Welcome to the Painless Podcast. It's Chris Hartwick from Painless Networking here. Thanks so much for listening in. If you're new, it's very simple. Each Painless Podcast, we're about connecting with and getting to know good people in sports and event marketing. A quick note on last week's episode, number 14 was Sean True from True's Cleats. As happens in the startup world, things constantly change. The True's team, uh, they decided to pause the Kickstarter campaign that we talked about, not the cleat just the Kickstarter campaign, and are going to be relaunching a new campaign shortly, I understand. You can go to truescleats.com. That's T-R-O-O-Z-C-L-E-A-T-S.com. Get notified when the next round is kicking off, and I'm telling you, the cleat is going to change the game. Now's a good time to get involved. All right, Uh, today's guest, Lisa Strasman, president of NCSA. That's next college student athlete, Skokie native. Lisa played hockey collegiately at Yale. Tells us the rest of her story in the upcoming interview. She uh, works for Chicago-based NCSA. They employ more than 600 people, working with thousands of prospective athletes of their families and college coaches across 31 different sports. Uh, for example, we talk about men's basketball, there's over 2,000 schools from junior college to NAIA, Division III, Division II, Division I, etc. cetera. Uh, Lisa talks about how NCSA fits in the equation and works across 43,000 different coaches in their database and finding all kinds of success stories for these athletes. You can check out NCSA online at ncsasports.org, ncsasport on Twitter, they're at NCSA, and Facebook, they're at NCSA Sports. All right, recorded May 17th at NCSA headquarters on the Chicago River at Kingsbury and Scott. Let's get connected with Lisa Strasman. Well, welcome to the Painless Podcast this week with Lisa Strasman. Did I pronounce it right, Lisa? You did. All right, excellent. Lisa's the uh, president of NCSA, and... So I don't mess it up, Lisa, what's the NCSA stand for?
1: Yeah, it stands for Next College Student Athlete.
0: All right, excellent. And we're going to come back to what the heck NCSA does uh, in a little bit, but it's a little bit more context. I'd like to talk about people's backgrounds as well. So where'd you grow up? You're from Chicago area?
1: Yes, I am. I grew up in Skokie, Illinois, so just outside the city of Chicago, and I grew up an ice hockey player. as a kid, I, my my um, people always ask how I got into that. I was one of the first females in Illinois to play hockey, and my parents put me in figure skating. And um, but I was a tomboy, and I had a friend in kindergarten and an older cousin who played hockey, and so. One day I asked my parents if I could do that, and they said, sure. I don't think anybody thought it would stick, and it stuck. <laughs>
0: the second podcast was Kara Bachman from the oh, Chicago yeah. Sports Commission, yep. right?
1: I used to coach Kara, actually. Okay.
0: That, well, I was going to say, I'm sure <laughs> that there's probably some overlap in her story, very similar if she was started in figure skating and tried to bomb her figure skating lesson because she wanted to go play hockey, mostly <laughs> because she hated the outfits, I think was the yeah, first I thing. I wouldn't mind so, the outfits right. either. <laughs> so you, how young were you when you started playing? I mean, that was from very young age?
1: Yeah, I started in kindergarten.
0: Oh, wow. Related to that, that ties into a whole bunch of different things, but it definitely ties all the way up through NCSA, is I've read you've had kind of a moment of clarity fairly young, like 10 years old, about the future as a girl hockey player. What? Tell us about that.
1: I did. So I played hockey with boys most of my life, but especially early on, um, that's that was the only option. And so when I was about 10, a USA Hockey newspaper came to my front door, and it was all about the rise of women's hockey, and specifically women's college hockey, and how a lot of programs were adding women's college hockey, which... One would have thought would be really exciting for me as a young women's hockey player, future women's hockey player, um, but it was actually the opposite. I got very upset because I had always envisioned playing college hockey, but playing on the men's team, and so uh, I, I um, you know, was was really set back and and upset to think that one day that I, things might have to change and I might have to actually play with girls. Um, so. I think I still held on to that goal for quite a while that I was going to be on a boys' team or men's team in college until I uh, got a little bit older and realized the reality of the situation and um, set my sights on playing women's college hockey.
0: Which, uh, which high school did you go to?
1: I went to Niles North not, and in did they Skokie. have a
0: I did they did they have a girls hockey no team?
1: no they did not so I played on the boys team at Niles North and then I also played for team Illinois which was we, at the time the only uh, girls team in the state and we traveled really? around the that country the going one. to different events it was it's amazing how much it's changed but back then that was the only team and we even drew girls from Other Midwestern states would travel in and be part of our travel team because there were so few options.
0: Puts it a little bit in perspective. This is, you're you're not an old timer. I mean, this was the mid 90s that this was happening, right? I mean,
1: yeah, I was in high school in the mid 90s. 90s, right? So, I mean, this is
0: not like, uh, you know, at the creation of Title IX or something like that. It was much more recently than that that it was still that the case. Then you, you went on, you continued to play hockey through college uh, at a pretty darn good university at Yale. How, how did you pick, how much of it was, because I know, speaking also of like Kara mm-hmm. that had a lot to do with where she picked to go to school was that to being able to continue to play. Yeah. How much of that was the the education, how much of it was being able to play, and both of those opportunities mixing together.
1: Yeah, so it was all hockey. I was a good, (laughs) (laughs) um, I am not embarrassed to admit that I was a good student in high school, but I was not an Ivy League student by any stretch of the imagination. I never would have applied to any Ivy League schools if if I wasn't a recruited athlete. So my goal was to play Division I hockey. Uh, on the East Coast at the best academic school possible. Uh, the challenge was I really had no idea what that meant. So um, I started getting calls from these Ivy League schools, Yale being one of them, and I just had no idea if what they were telling me was true and if I really did have a chance to get <laughs> accepted. So I wound up applying to 13 or 14 different schools. It was extremely stressful for myself and my family. and. Um, I'm just really fortunate that it worked out the way it did. When I visited Yale, I had a great fit. I uh, really felt like I could see myself fitting in on that campus and with the girls on the team. I liked the coach and then I was able to to get in. And so I chose that over other options. But looking back, you know, here I was getting literally flown around the country getting to go on official visits and having all these opportunities in front of me yet I would come home from school crying and it was just so stressful so um if I could have changed anything it just would have been enjoying the process a little bit more if I had more help but um but I was really fortunate that through hockey I was able to open a lot of doors
0: right so what what at that point then what were you? What were your resources? I mean, did you? Was it you were on your own of trying to figure out the differences between these schools? Uh, how did that work?
1: I, I really was. So the college counselor at my high school at the time was no help. She told me <laughs> that I would never get into these schools, and I should look at the local state schools. Uh, so my family did engage a private college counselor, but. Even she didn't know anything about the athletic side of it. So we were really um, helping her along the way on that side of things. So <laughs> it was really my parents and I figuring it out. I went to a lot of different camps and com- tournaments and showcases and sent letters to college coaches. Back then, it was really when everything was still done through right, the mail, right. barely even email, and would make phone calls and send letters. And then, you know, fortunately, uh, they were able to watch me play and liked what they saw.
0: Now, were your parents, either of them, in education or anything? Like, how did they, did they, they were no, kind of almost in the dark on it, too? We how were all
1: in the dark. We were wow. figuring out, figuring it out as we went along and taking advice from some older teammates who were in college and had gone through the process, but um, really just winging it.
0: You at least, you did have choices. It wasn't uh, that there weren't, but for, so fortunately, at least it sounds like you could have, uh, you know, you you had multiple, no matter what, you you had some options, which was great. But um, sifting through that. It's, and back in the now we are talking about the olden days that was mm. was where there wasn't quite the internet research and there's certainly nothing like an N- NCSA type organization to, uh, to to help you through all that. So you played uh, for four years and then did you try to you know go into Olympic program or any of that stuff or did you just say okay now I'm done? Did you want to go coach? Did you say I'm mean, even done with that? I'm going to go and you know hang him up and go go to work what was what was the thinking towards the end of college
1: back then it was before there were really women's professional leagues which there's a little bit of Mm -hmm. today Um, I would have jumped at that chance but I I did want to prolong it as, as long as possible so I got the opportunity to play overseas for a year after I graduated so I went and played in Switzerland for a season which was a great experience. The hockey was not as competitive as it was in college, but it Hmm. was an amazing experience Mm -hmm. to get to see Europe and and travel and play in another country. So uh, I did that for one season and then wound up coming back to Chicago.
0: And then you came back, and then was your first job then, uh, air quotes, job, um, Hmm. real job, grown-up job, was that CDW?
1: So when I came back, I... Uh, started my career at CDW, which is technology sales. And um, the thing was, I was not passionate about sales (laughs) or technology, but I knew that I would get great general business experience. They had a great training program, and I knew that would be uh, an awesome launching point for wherever my career might take me. And it turned out that sales... uh, actually was something I enjoyed way more than I would have expected primarily because of the competitive nature. I'd been Uh, playing sports my whole life and then I was in an environment where I could compete with myself and others in a sales capacity. So I did enjoy that um, but I was always looking for something that you know I could just wake up in the morning and, and get out of bed feeling like I was making more of a difference, and that right. was not selling servers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. I left CDW to uh, try the nonprofit sector, uh, which I did, and what I found there was that although that was a little more emotionally fulfilling, right. it was more slow-paced, and I didn't have that more team-competitive environment. So I started looking for something new and was really fortunate to find NCSA which has been a perfect combination of sports, give back, competitive uh, competitiveness and um, really a team environment.
0: and how did you find NCSA?
1: Just really luck I mean the company was <laughs> in its infancy back then and I can't remember what site I found it on but just doing a general job search uh, on the website.
0: How big was I mean I look out at the at the, this whole floor of this building now. Uh, filled with NCSA folks. How big was it at that point?
1: At that time, we had about 20, 30 people Hmm. in the whole organization. And today we have over 600. Wow. Wow.
0: And you started as...
1: I started as a recruiting coach. Um, We had different titles back then, but that's the the job today. And um, basically it was the lowest level you could possibly start at. Um, it was a step back uh, financially and, and in other ways, but I really saw the potential um, for me to grow and, and for me to grow with the organization. So um, basically what I did was talk to parents and talk to college coaches and acted as that liaison between the parents and the college coaches. It definitely included a lot of um, you know, basic work like data entry and updating kids' profiles because... Back at that time, we used to do that manually um, and, and um, you know, doing a lot of research on colleges and really helping kids find that right fit.
0: Yeah. So do you, you know, t- talk a little bit more about that too, of explaining then, I guess now is a good time probably of uh, more of what's, and, and it might even be a little bit of if, if there's been big change or, or morphing over the, the past, um, what, 13 years or so that you've been here that um, what's, uh, you know, the folks that are at entry level, what, what are they doing and, and what's that contributing to the, the larger mission, if you will, of um, NCSA?
1: Our overarching goal is helping student athletes improve their lives by playing sports at the collegiate level. And we help our student athletes find that right college fit, because there's thousands of colleges to choose from, and not every school is right for you, even if it might be a school that you can play your sport at. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that, we have thousands of conversations with families uh, every single week, um, helping them with really every step of that process. So um, NCSA has combined that um, personal coaching touch, with technology and both of those aspects have really grown over the last uh, 13 years really since the business was founded in 2000 and so um, on an entry level standpoint you know our folks are really having different types of conversations with families navigating them through various steps in the process some of the more in depth recruiting conversations are a higher level responsibility, yeah. but there's also lots of uh, general account work. How do I log into my profile and things like
0: that? <laughs> yeah. Well, and how else do you now with technology? Like, what are you? Are you overlapping with everything from you know the databases of coaches and outreach to them, and then I'm assuming film and and stuff like that from profile piece. How much are you doing with the technology piece versus some of the old school? Conversations either getting to know the kids or getting to know the coaches or, you know, both to know that there's a fit. How, how do you blend those two?
1: Yeah, we, we do all of the above, and it is a blend. So uh, we host uh, something called the recruiting management system, which is built on our recruit match technology. And uh, there's a version for student athletes and their parents, and there's a version for college coaches uh, as well as club and high school coaches. So um, speaking from the athlete standpoint, First and foremost, we have uh, recruiting profiles. the free recruiting profiles um, for any student athlete. So if you think of a job search that you know, most adults go through, you're going to have a LinkedIn profile. It's right. so the same thing with recruiting. That first step is you need to have your digital athletic profile so the college coaches can see what you're all about. From there, we have a team that will assess student-athletes' ability, we'll watch their video, we'll help them create highlight videos, we'll put together scouting reports to share with the athletes and help them understand what levels they realistically might be qualified for. And then we're able to take in their academics, their athletics, and their preferences on what type of a school and collegiate environment they're looking for and recommend schools that will be a good fit for them to target so that their families can be more efficient and more effective with their time so they're not you know, driving around the country kind of aimlessly and they can really target it in on schools. Um, and then we help them actually connect with the coaches at those schools um, by sending their information directly to those coaches and teaching the athletes how to do their own outreach as well, which is an important part of the process. From there, we're guiding them through every step of the process. So we have a whole suite of digital education in NCSA University, which includes mm. um, hundreds of live webinars every single month, um, videos, quizzes, and other resources that they go through to learn everything from. How do I call a coach? What do I say? What do I oh, wear yeah, on right. my official visit? Um, what, How do I compare different types of schools? what should I be doing at this time of year for my sport? And we're walking them through all of that, all the way down to the point where they're making a final decision and maybe even negotiating scholarship opportunities. And in addition to the the digital side of things, that's where our team really comes in. And so our team is talking the families through all of those stages and making sure that really we can be their trusted guide in the process so they don't have to go it alone like I did.
0: Yeah, right. now. Is is somebody like the uh, huddle, um, you know, that I see of a lot of kids hosting their my son playing lacrosse mm-hmm. or football? Um, is that a is that a competitor or of yours, um, or is that can they be complimentary? How does that? jive with what you guys do.
1: Yeah, it's really complimentary. So student athletes can upload their huddle videos on their NCSA profiles so that college coaches can access them. Yeah, so huddles made it even just that much easier for kids to get footage. Back 10 years ago, we would have to help our kids hunt down their high school coaches to get film. And that was a really uh, laborious process today in many sports, it's much easier for them to get that footage.
0: Right. And so now that that this is, I guess, that's a differentiator for why somebody would work with you guys is that you're getting, you're, you're coaching these athletes into whatever they need to do to put their, get their grades in order, to go on their visits and rather than just, okay, here's my tape. Right. Okay.
1: Yep, and then we're also teaching them um and really opening their eyes to what types of schools they should be looking at because there's again for uh, I was just working uh, with a, a basketball family recently, and there's 2,000 schools that have men's basketball programs. <laughs> right. And those range from the top Division One schools that you see in March Madness all the way through NAIA and junior colleges, um, as well as the other divisions within the NCAA. And right. there's just no way that a family could know what all those different opportunities mean and which ones might be right for them. So um, that's where we can really come in and help uh, them understand. We teach, we show kids really how they match with every school in the country. So even if a school is not a fit for you, we'll okay. teach them why and then help them target in on that, um, really on that uh, list of schools that they should put the most time and, and energy into. And oftentimes that changes as they go through high school and get bigger, faster, stronger. Maybe their preferences change, but um, you know it, it helps them really narrow down a big set of schools to a much more manageable list.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, a little bit ago about uh, the, you know, the the feedback. Are there yeah. situations and how do you handle it? I mean, it's got to be tricky that you know, maybe this kid thinks he's a lot better than he is or just really isn't going to get to be an athlete in college, balancing that with what's your business, how do you have some of those conversations, and does that happen very often?
1: Yeah, so first of all, it's usually the parent, not uh, the athlete, (laughs) and we have those conversations a lot, and from the uh, get-go, we will never enroll or take take any money from a family if we don't believe that the athlete has a chance to play in college Mm -hmm. and then if we can't get aligned around expectations so if the family is dead set on division one or bust and we know that the athlete could play but at a division two or three level if we can't reconcile that we're not going to move forward either because nobody's going to be happy at the end of the day Usually that's not the case, and we can get to a get to a, a good spot. And and you know, we're never here to kill dreams. We'll we'll <laughs> right. we'll point the family in the right direction, but explain you know hey, reach out to Stanford. You can send them an email. You can uh, reach out, and you know who knows. Um, here's some things you can do to get to to improve and get to that level, but. You know, the college coaches are telling us what they're looking for. Uh, and we know you know we've we have sixteen years of data of what types of kids they're recruiting and who ultimately winds up on their rosters. And um, when we're able to really look at that and know um, it's not going to be a fit or you know you need to gain x pounds for for it to be a right.
0: fit. Right. <laughs> I'm just laughing, thinking of as many games as I've been to and unrealistic parents sometimes, <laughs> and the kids are probably like,
1: "Yeah,
0: thank you, see, I told you, I'm not going to go play in the Big Ten. Right. But uh, what
1: really helps, too, is a lot of families think that most people only know those schools, right? So it's only the schools you're seeing on ESPN uh, that you're familiar with. And so we're able to, In sh- what's unfortunate is that for so many families, When they don't get recruited by those schools, or those coaches don't return their emails or their phone calls, they give up. And then they just start looking at schools as a regular academic student and drop the sport. Um, What we're able to help them realize is that, no, you're not going to play at Notre Dame. You're not going to play basketball at Duke. But here's some amazing Division III schools where you can get a great education that are comparable to the, if not better, than the education at, at those places. And you're going to be able to play your sport for a coach that really wants you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's game changing for so many athletes and their parents.
0: Well, yeah, I think what's important, too, joking a little bit about the, the kid's relief, but I mean, some of it I'm sure has got to be gut feel. And maybe that's why you look to hire so many Former athletes here too to help identify it, but well, I don't even know what it would, how to even how you'd even quantify it necessarily because it's not it's not going to be an algorithm or something. But the passion that you're finding that you know you see where sometimes it's like uh, that that it's not that the kid doesn't have the talent, but he just he doesn't want to continue. the maybe the parents are pushing. I mean that's got to also be a difficult situation. You kind of get put in the middle of those. Does that happen?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question and one of our, it's it's one of the biggest criteria we use when we're evaluating prospects. And in order to qualify to enroll with NCSA, uh, a family needs to meet three factors. The first one is you know, they need to be athletically qualified to play at some level um, or on a path to being to being there. Um, of course, they need to be academically qualified as well. And then that third factor is commitment level. So if, if they don't have interest and they're not going to put in the work, um, sometimes we'll get on the phone and, and the student-athlete, is telling their parents, like, I don't want this. And we'll say, okay, you guys go spend some more time (laughs) and and think about it And until Johnny says that he really wants to be a college athlete, we're not going to move forward because... We need to protect our relationships with college coaches as well. And mm-hmm. if we're telling them about these athletes who are never going to return their calls and aren't going to be serious candidates, that, that would not be a good thing. So, right. um, And it's not good for the athlete to get that pressure either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we take that athlete commitment very seriously. Most of the families we come across with um, are qualified and committed, but there's definitely those situations yeah. where where the, the student athlete's not.
0: And do you have, um, out of curiosity, is it more – uh, boys or girls that you're working with? Is it do you? Is it heavy because there's because there's more scholarship and money and, and you know the footballs and basketballs in particular. But um, you know, does that skew the numbers or is it actually that you end up dealing with more of the, the uh, you know the Olympic sports or more? girls out there trying to take advantage of the opportunities. I'm I'm trying to answer the question for you. So (laughs) tell me who who you're talking to.
1: Yeah, it's really a mix. So we work with 31 different sports at NCSA. Football is our largest. And after that, it's really evenly distributed between males and females.
0: And then you've got, you said, 600-plus staff. And those people... I'm looking out again on on this uh, full floor of people, a lot of people on the on the phone. So there's a mix of of uh, talking to the kids and the families, and then also to the schools. What's the charge for them each day? Is is it more finding new kids? Is it more building up coaches? Is it more something else? I'm not even uh, not even on my radar.
1: It's a mix of of all of the above. Um, student athletes are coming to us every day, really requesting recruiting assessments and. We provide free 60-minute recruiting assessments for student athletes, parents. It's really student athletes and their their parents, or um, whoever the you know the close family members are that'll be going through that process. And it's a great opportunity for family because we find that with so many families, it's not only the first time they've thought about recruiting and playing sports, but it's the first time they've thought about college in yeah. as a family and. That's such a, I mean, it's one of the biggest milestones a family will go through as a unit. So uh, really taking that time to understand where the family's at, let them talk about what each family member is looking for in the college experience, and then helping to give them a game plan um, is a big part of what we do. And then our team is doing all sorts of things from um, watching the highlight videos, breaking down those highlight videos, providing an athletic assessment, and then um, talking the families through every step of the journey. So you know, we might be uh, one of our recruiting coaches. Um, our recruiting coaches spend you know, the, the most part of their days on the phone doing what we call coaching sessions with families mm-hmm. or leading recruiting classes, which are bigger group uh, calls. And uh, they, they might range from having one conversation about, um, you know, Johnny, you need to get your grades up so that you can qualify for more schools. And the next conversation might be helping a, you know, Ivy League candidate, um, understand her options and prepare her for her visit. So we're really there to help with uh, every step of that process. And then also talking with the college coaches, making sure that um, they have everything they need, helping them fill what we call roster openings and Mm -hmm. other requests.
0: And how much do is, I'd have to uh, imagine on both sides, is the the, uh, financial uh, implications because so many of the The sports and it's depending on the different levels of what either they can offer in scholarships or partial scholarships or uh, other kinds of, you know, grants and aid or whatever the the proper term would be now, right? That that's uh, being able to help weed through that is probably actually a huge stress reliever for maybe even both sides, being able to be the one that tells a kid, you know, look, there's a quarter scholarship here for somebody like you mm-hmm. doesn't have to necessarily. the coach doesn't have to be that bad guy or the other way around of just trying to okay well here's there is something here or there's not and then that adds to the whole um, making the, the the international sign for for weighing um, but weighing those options uh, across that's got to be very helpful of having a third party to be able to do that
1: yeah definitely and a lot of families were also able to we help them understand that there's a lot of ways to help get college paid for outside of um, what's technically considered an athletic yeah, scholarship. Right. So the reality is that um, coaches have a lot of different ways to help you get funding if they want you on their team. And so, for example, many families think that Division three schools don't give scholarships, which is true that they don't give athletic scholarships, right. but we have countless examples of kids who qualify for academic scholarships that they wouldn't have known about if they weren't um, going at it from the athletic angle. And they also give other merit grants and other types of awards uh, for kids that they want on their team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end of the day, you want to get college paid for. It really doesn't matter if it's coded as an athletic scholarship or not. In fact, there's some benefits at times for it not being athletic because you can get a four-year more easily. So we help families really understand all of that. So that they can make the right decisions as they're going through, and we help them with college funding um, as well to, to really understand what what uh, what they will qualify for at different types of schools. Again, make sure they make the most educated decisions possible.
0: Yeah. So, uh, tell me a little bit about like your role as as president. I mean, well, you, you mentioned you came in at the. At the, at the bottom of the barrel at the, as, at the time there's a recruiting coach, right? And then you've worked your way up as a, a VP of operations and chief operating officer and added, actually it's about five years ago now, so you've been mm-hmm. president for a while. What, now that you're at this role, what, what do you do on a daily basis? How much of it is engaging with families, how much in, with coaches in schools, uh, and whatever else that you have to do? What's, what's all that fun stuff?
1: Yeah. So it's it's a lot of different things. I'm really looking for uh, the, the next opportunities for how our teams can grow and get better really in service to our families and coaches. So I work uh, with all of our different departments, uh, our service team, our college coach relations team, our sales team, our product development team, and um, constantly help make sure that, that they all have the resources that they need to be as successful as possible, help our, our families, our coaches, and um, continue to grow the business so that we can you know, do even more for all of those groups.
0: I'm, I'm going to assume that you'd say that being an athlete uh, for your whole life uh, and going being a college athlete has been very helpful and yes. teaching you to be able to do this um what how else have you found besides some of the skills that you've learned in sports uh and playing sports what else have have you done to find mentors or you know how much self taught of reading or researching or whatever how how else do you make to be able to lead a group that's this big what do you do
1: yeah um that's a good question i think Your comment about sports is definitely right on. I mean, I constantly draw examples um, of things that, even if it's a new business challenge, I know I've faced it before uh, in the sports realm. And so all of those analogies that are are made all the time, I. Fully believe are a hundred percent true. In addition to that, I I have definitely learned a lot on on the job and and self taught and trying to find new uh, new learning opportunities inside and outside the business. Um, um, and then definitely found great mentors along the way as well.
0: And was that within the the company or outside? Or I'm assuming actually it's probably both. But like, where did you find those folks? It's always you know, always looking for good a good hand, a good uh, piece of advice. How do you reach out and find them? Are you looking for somebody that you think oh, it's kind of like a coach, and you click with them? I mean, how how do you, you know, get connected with those folks?
1: Yeah, a li- I think a little bit of both. Um, I've done some formal mentorship groups, and I found that the the informal ones, where people might not even know that you're gleaning uh, insights from them, for me have been more helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, Um, but yeah, really finding people that you connect with or that you admire and, um, trying to pick their brains as much as possible has been, been helpful for me. And then, you know, I'm fortunate that we've had such a high growth environment at NCSA for such a long, prolonged period of time that I always joke, um, that even though I've been at NCSA for over a decade, I feel like I've worked for six or seven different companies during that time Mm -hmm. because we have literally been that many different versions of ourselves. And now that's part of the reason we've been so successful is we're, we're agile and always, always looking to adapt in order to best serve our, our yeah, clients how, that, and our internal team.
0: How are you looking to do that now is that you've got more than 600 people versus, you know, the fraction, the 30 or so is when you started. How do you do that to try to stay, you know, keep that mindset of being agile and then actually be able to be agile when you're that big?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we're continuing to grow. We're adding new folks uh, literally every month at this point, and then um, listening to our, our customers primarily. So we get a lot of feedback from families and coaches on things that we could do differently or we could do better, new features they'd like to see, and we are constantly trying to um, you know, take take the right insights from that mm-hmm. and and improve, and also adding new. Um, adding new divisions and, and parts of the business that, that can help new audiences. So for example, at the beginning of the year, we add, we added a new product called NCSA Team Edition. And Team Edition helps club coaches and high school coaches um, be more involved in the recruiting process for their athletes, which we, we've we learned over several years was um, really something that was missing mm-hmm. and something that, that those coaches deserved. So we're now able to help really connect the loop full circle by bringing the coaches into the process.
0: And I saw a, a, a nicely done article re, um, that that I think it was seven, was it seven reasons that athletes make good employees or something yeah. like that, right? And so that was having me thinking about in, in a postgraduate role, other than you hiring them to work here, what is that a, a a service or a role that either you have or are looking to grow of even, you know, even placement or those kinds of things or
1: it is? Yes. Yeah. So we have a job board called career match. And the goal of, of that is really to help uh, college student athletes leverage all of the. Um, all of the skills they learn through being a college athlete, many of which are intangible, uh, in order to use those skills at um, an internship or a job. And many college athletes don't really understand how to talk about all of all of those unique right. attributes that they gain from being an athlete. And so our goal is to really help connect them with companies that do understand and appreciate those values, um, really help our kids get a leg up coming out of college. So um, that's something that that's, that's um, newer and, and growing, but definitely a focus for us. And we have a term that um, we call athlete leadership. Mm-hmm. And really that is, um, you know, obviously the combination of being um, an athlete and being a leader. And, and we believe that um, that by being an athlete, especially at the collegiate level, um, student athletes gain so many leadership qualities that are really valuable to employers I see it firsthand all the time um, with you know being committed being goal-oriented being a great teammate and um, that's something that uh, we're we're really working to, to teach kids again how to appreciate and articulate right
0: no that's why I like that that article I'll have to link that when I when I we when I post this I'll make sure to, Great. Give you the credit for that, uh, and, and post that yeah. in there because uh, I, in my agency days, that was that was um, uh, the, a difference maker on hiring mm-hmm. people. A lot of times was if they had been a college athlete, that to me spoke a lot uh, to how they're organized and driven. And adding that into everything else of that, that responsibility, in addition to mm-hmm. keeping grades up and and graduating, simply. Uh, mm-hmm usually spoke volumes of people, but it's interesting. I think that's a big opportunity. I I asked that because I know over the last few years, I've had several, including some professional, former professional football player, former professional woman soccer player coming like, well, what do I do with my resume? I think this is, you know, it's got this big gap because I was just playing. And I said, well, but that's not, you're you're selling yourself short. Like, what did you do? Like all the, the time that you spent, and then what did you do within the team? You held some leadership roles. You did some mentoring. And how did you do that with the younger players or whatever? There's a lot of things you could speak to. Yep. and Because I think one of the, the points in your article was about coachability. Yeah. There were, these folks are like, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. That's great. All right, now. And then they're ready to go out and, and and tell that story. Anything else I didn't touch? Oh, you know what? that That's the one other thing before I know you've got to get going. But um, you, know, you talk about community involvement, being involved probably with some charities and, and uh, nonprofit organizations and you knowing, you mm-hmm. know, actually having worked with one. Um, what do you do here? How do you keep that in um, the fabric of the organization? And do you have any examples of what you guys do, reaching back out,
1: yeah, we do a lot, and give back is one of our core values. You can see we wear jerseys around our necks, uh-huh, and there it is. Um, give back is one of our core values and so um, we do a lot within NCSA and then externally as well. Within the company, we, um, our mission is to never turn away a family, a deserving student athlete, for financial reasons. So we do a lot of self-funding um, of memberships for kids who can't otherwise afford it or families that can't otherwise afford it. Last year alone, we self-funded over twelve million dollars worth of services wow. for for families. Yeah, and every every member of our team gets to sponsor a student athlete. Um, if they want more than one, we'll give it to them. And um, and our team gets gets very involved in helping find uh, find kids that need help in order to really. Um, improve their life by getting the opportunity to play in college. Uh, We also work with several nonprofits in part in order to do that and identify those kids. Uh, Also, we we do work with an organization called the Sports Shed, which provides um, athletic equipment to kids and teams that don't have access to equipment. And then we also work with an awesome group out of Boston called Team Impact. they place terminally ill children on college rosters. I um, actually ran the Chicago Marathon last year with their team, and uh, it's such a great group that, um, I mean, you can't look at their website without a box of clean heads yeah, next right. to you. These stories are amazing. I haven't
0: heard, I'm going to go look them up when we're done. That sounds fantastic. That's yeah. great. Uh, so now the question is, <laughs> we've got that, is anything else we want to talk about with NCSA and, or share with our listeners?
1: Yeah, Um I think two, just two other quick unique things about NCSA, one, we uh, we do a lot in the event space. So we actually are partnered with rivals um, in Adidas and are hosting uh, free football combines for student athletes who want to get tested using the same equipment that is used at the NFL combines. There's actually one in Chicago uh, the Saturday before Memorial Day at Lane Tech. Um, so. It's a great way for kids to come out. Again, it's free and be able to get their measurables tested. at events. So that would
0: be May 28th.
1: May 27th. Oh, 7th. sorry. Yeah,
0: sorry. That's right. The Memorial Day is the 29th, right? So the 27th. Yes. And um, you know what? I'll get. Let's. Um, we'll get that info too because that's coming up right after we'll post this interview. So, want to? If you're listening, take a look at the the post and I'll have that info in there. Okay. So that's, was that one? one one The the other point
1: that uh, I would be remiss to talk about our organization without just talking about the awesome culture that we have internally. And we've got such a great team. I attribute a lot of it to the fact that we have so many former college athletes, but everybody's just like-minded in, um, in their athletic mindset and we take our culture very seriously. We work hard to, um, always try to create an engaging environment. I'm sure you can see just being in the mm-hmm. office, but um, you know we work hard and, and play hard, and um, you know everybody's very, very dedicated to our mission and um we try to do a lot to, to foster that so yeah it's got a of, great group
0: uh, yes it's a great vibe walking and hadn't been in before today it's it's uh it's a great environment in here yeah. if that does it then i'm i'm feeling good i like it i think this was very informative opened my eyes on ncsa so thank you very much for joining me at today's painless podcast lisa Strasman, president of me. ncsa thanks All right, hope you enjoyed my chat with Lisa. Check out the pod description here for the links to the rival Showcase on May 27th at Lane Tech. We talk about, uh, also tossed in there, a recent Cranes article, dives a whole bunch deeper into NCSA's growth, their financials, uh, costs to athletes, some other uh, interesting stats and numbers. And uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and please leave us feedback and ratings. It really helps and is very much appreciated scroll through the feed on the first 14 episodes there's some great stuff in there that i think you'll enjoy if you haven't already listened to them any and all feedback guest suggestions interested in sponsorships whatever email us at painless at painless.network painless pod at painless.network all right until next time it's chris hartwig stay connected friends
1: oh